Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to episode four of season three of the Running Explained podcast. I am super excited to have you here. Shockingly, it is already February. This year is just absolutely starting to fly by, probably a little faster than some of us would like. But before I introduce my guest for this week, I just wanted to give you an update about all of the awesome ongoing offerings that we have at Running Explained. Uh, I, since we're deep into the new year already, let's let's not even call it a new year thing. Let's just call it like, hey, you're training for something and you want some support. So as a reminder, training plans are always available and I am currently working on putting out some new plans, including speed base at a variety of levels, along with some challenge weekend offerings if you're running I don't know, a 10K and a half marathon in two consecutive days in one of the happiest places on earth. Those types of plans might be appropriate for you. Group training is also open. And please note that the price for group group training is rising this month. So please lock in the current pricing for group training if you're interested in joining us for half or full marathon group training. And then of course, we do have one-on-one coaching available. I would say Four of my six coaches who are all awesome are currently accepting new clients. So if you're looking for truly individualized support, uh, feedback, personalized training, a coach in your corner for your training, one-on-one coaching is the offer for you. All right, let's get to it. My guest this week is sports dietitian Kirsten Screen of Screen Nutrition. If you listen to the podcast, you probably remember that she was a guest on the show at the very beginning of last year, the first episode of 2022, talking about hormone health for runners. And I know that that episode was really a game changer for a lot of the people who listen to it, thinking about the things that we don't often think about when it comes to what our health is and how that relates to our performance and what it means for us as endurance athletes. And she is back this week to talk about micronutrients for endurance athletes. A truly fascinating conversation. And of course, uh, Kirsten, I do want to say, has been somebody that I've worked with personally. She impressed me so much by her being being a guest on this show, <laughs> a guest on my show last year, that when I was looking for support nutritionally, I reached out to her and worked one-on-one with her. So I really can't speak highly enough about just working with her and her knowledge and her expertise. And so I was super excited to have her come back on the show to talk about micronutrients. So I hope you enjoy. Kirsten Screen, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like we just talked like yesterday, but it's been a minute, but this episode always kind of gets... Like there's lots of talk about that last episode. So I'm super stoked to be back. Yeah. So you were a guest on the first episode of season two. So way back last January and that episode on hormone health, I know was like mind blowing for so many runners who listened to it. Um, And I hope we're going to blow people's minds today with our topic about micronutrients. But before we go ahead and get started, give us an update. Tell us a little bit about what's happened in the last year and a little bit about kind of who you are. Yeah, uh, last year has been crazy, but I feel like it kind of has for everyone. You obviously blew up hugely last year, but last year has been crazy on our end. Um, the business has grown and we kind of split parts of the business. So for those of you who heard me last year, there's a new name to the business, still the same people, but you'll now find us as Screen Nutrition. Um, we've just really kind of embraced 
the fact that where we work best with people is to start with the foundations. Let's build up the foundations of who are you as a functional human. And I don't mean foundations of like, what's a macronutrient? Not that. And, you know, you guys, you've heard me talk to you before, so you know where I'm at with that. But we've just really embraced that if we can help people become fully functional, we can blow it out of the water on the performance piece and that's kind of the cherry on top. So that's who we are. That's what we do. For those of you who didn't hear me last year, my name is Kirsten. I'm a registered dietitian, uh, have been for a really, really, really long time. Like the more I have to answer these questions, I'm like, I am so old. I've done this for a long time. Um, but this is my passion is to help people use nutrition to really improve the function of their life, which then carries over into everything, including performance, which is obviously why we're here. So anyway, that's who I am. Yeah. And I have me. Of course, of course. I always like to look at this and the more that I work in this space is just, you know, if we nail the foundations and we are in a good place as people, the performance will come. Yes. Like it's really, it really is that simple, right? Like you can't, and there are no shortcuts. And I think it's what a lot of people get really frustrated about is they want that one simple thing that's been missing the whole time, right? Give me that one piece of secret sauce that doesn't exist. Yeah. And there is no secret sauce. Now, the the fix might, quote unquote fix, might be simple. Yes. Right? But it could be something as, you know, but it might be difficult to implement. And um, for anybody out there who feels like you are struggling and it's not quite making sense, um, there could be a, if you're, and you're only trying quick fixes, it's probably not a quick fix that what you actually need. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow because we want, like, I just haven't found the thing yet. Right. That's what's in everyone's brain. Like there's just one piece of information that they're keeping from me. And if I can just find the right person to give me the right piece of information, then everything will work. But in the end, that's just not reality. Right. Like you can't, you can't buy your way into better health and performance. You can't like, it's, there's no shortcut. Like you said, you just have to really dig in and figure out what's going on. And then how do we support that? And how do we move past that? And I, I promise you, we're not withholding information. There's not. <laughs> like, <laughs> you got to be in the club. <laughs> you, me, the other coaches, the other dietitians, the physical therapists that I know, like we are so free and open with our information, right? We are telling you our foundational knowledge. We are sharing with you what we know, although the implementation may look different from person to person. Like it's there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're definitely, you we're know? not like in a secret club and you don't know the handshake, right? Like the information here it is. It's just not always enough to just have information. There's usually more to the puzzle. And I think what I'm going to say next is going to be relevant to our topic about micronutrients is that so often in this space, I see people start down this path get impatient, get fed up, and then bail. Yes. When all they needed to do was just keep going. Yes. Because they're not seeing the changes that they want to see on the timeline they want to see them, and therefore just let's burn it down to the ground. Um, All of this stuff takes time. Mm -hmm. No, (laughs) nothing, it feels like it takes longer than something that you want to have happen quickly, right? So for any, like, this is the kind of like the be patient, it will happen, just maybe not as fast as you want it to happen. Just don't quit. Well, and usually it is happening. It's just you don't know it's happening, right? Like the body's always doing stuff. Stuff's happening, including, and you know this even from a training plan, right? When you're trying to increase mileage or whatever, like the slow twitch muscle, it's happening. You just don't know until you know. And if you quit before you get to that point, you may have been like one workout or, you know, one week or one whatever away from feeling a breakthrough, but then you quit and now you've robbed yourself of that opportunity to ever get there because you just didn't see it yet, but it's always happening. It's there. Yeah. 
people ask me like, how long does it take till easy running starts to work? I'm like, it started working. It's the first time you went on an easy run, it started yes. working. <laughs> yeah. And I also find, and I don't know if this is true with your running people, but I find this with our nutrition clients for sure. They know it's working. It's just not like boom, drastic, like a 180 change overnight. And then one day they'll look back and go, oh, you know what? I haven't had that symptom in like three weeks. I'm like, right. But you didn't notice that you didn't have that symptom because it's a slow, gradual improvement of things when you're waiting for like a meteor to hit you falling out of the sky to let you know something happened. But that's we just have to tune in and right connect with that stuff. Stuff's shifting. Just give it a minute. That is almost verbatim something I said to one of my one on one clients who actually also works with you. She just started. Oh, amazing. And, I, you know, we were chatting and I said something about like just it may not feel like it's working, but it is. And one day you're going to look back and realize, oh, my God, I don't feel as bad as I used to feel. Right. But it, they're, like, it's not a meteor. Like you said, it's not like, oh, boom, now it's working. You look back and think, oh, my gosh, I feel good. Or I'm getting faster or I'm right. sleeping better. I haven't had and that problem in like three exactly. weeks. And I didn't even notice I haven't had that problem. That's that's ideal. That's what we want. It shouldn't be, in my opinion, a very drastic shift because that either means we're assuming too much or it means that now your all of your expectations are going to be based on that and that's not usually how stuff works like we have to really learn to walk the slow path and do the underlying work the boring work right the quiet work that eventually gets you that result yes <laughs> the unsexy work <laughs> that, that's it that's it well i don't know i i think micronutrients can be pretty sexy but uh <laughs> i think it depends on your <laughs> It's one of my favorite topics. Let's, I mean, let's see how exciting we can make it, we can make it happen today. So we're going to talk about micronutrients today. And as always, let's lay the foundation of knowledge. What are micronutrients? Micronutrients are like the cooler cousin that doesn't get invited to the birthday parties. Like the cousin that you don't recognize is really cool. And like, instead you're getting the big loud cousin to come over, but really this is the cousin you want. Everyone harps on macronutrients, and I know we're going to distinguish this in just a second, but micronutrients are literally the chemical elements that are making everything work, including using macronutrients. Micronutrients are your vitamins and minerals, essentially. They, we need them in trace amounts, but we do need them. For all living organisms to function, we need micronutrients. And it, again, it's basically your vitamins and minerals, but the biggest piece I want everyone to take away from it is that we're vastly underestimating how important they are, because speaking of things that you can't really see and can't tell the difference with, you can tell pretty quickly on a run if you suddenly suddenly increase your carbohydrate intake, a macronutrient. You can tell the difference pretty drastically because it's a direct energy source, right? It takes longer and it's much more subtle when you start seeing changes of micronutrients, so nobody pays attention, and you end up attributing it to other things. Or this was a coincidence. Oh, I happen to know it's because we've put some other stuff in place, but it's like you said, a whole lot less sexy. <laughs> so it's the cousin we don't invite, but the cousin that we should all be best friends with. Like you want your micros to be on par with what you need. And, and, and yeah, micros versus macros. I I run into this issue a lot as a as an endurance coach that people tend to. Um, prioritize over prioritize the importance of things they can measure easily and devalue things or don't even pay attention to things that are I mean if I can't measure it like right. I don't even have to pay attention to it and the things that I can measure because I can measure them so easily they must be of oversized importance right and I, I, it sounds like a lot's going on with nutrition in that capacity too. Yes. And especially when we're then talking about nutrition for endurance athletes, you and I have had this conversation offline before. Endurance athletes like to have control over things. 
we are just, and I am one myself, but we are just a population that likes to have predictable outcomes. And we're a population that likes to follow predictable plans and measured things to get to wherever, right? I always joke that you could literally tell a runner that if you stand on your head for 7.8 seconds every morning at 4.30 facing east, you will run faster. They would all do it. Like, we, you wouldn't even need science to back that. They would just do it, right? Because that's just who we are as a population, I think. The problem then is with macros and micros, and macronutrients, just to distinguish for those who might not know, your macronutrients are literally the three things that provide energy. There's only three things on the planet that give humans energy. There's a fourth, but that's alcohol. I'm not going to mention that because please don't use that as your energy source. <laughs> Hopefully that goes without saying. But carbohydrates, proteins, and fats are the only things that provide energy to humans. So vitamins and minerals and caffeine do not provide energy. It's only carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. So we tend to focus on those, like you said, because those are the tangible things we're eating. Like people know when they eat a piece of bread, they're getting carbohydrate. They also forget that they're also getting protein and fat, but that's the nuance of the dietitian. But what we care more about is what do you need to make those carbohydrates, proteins, and fats give you energy? You need micronutrients. And those things are everywhere, but we need them in very small amounts, trace amounts, right? Too much of them can be very detrimental. So we don't measure them. And I honestly don't want you to measure the macros either, but that's another conversation. But we definitely don't me measure them. They're intangible. You can't see them. You can't feel them. You can't go out and be like, I'm going to eat a slice of magnesium. So as a result, you can eat a slice of bread, but not a slice of magnesium. Again, volume also would be very detrimental. It just makes it harder to conceptually understand the drastic impact they have. And as a result, like you said, we put them aside. We just don't worry about it because we don't know how to measure it. But you don't need to measure it. You just need to understand that they exist everywhere and that they play a vital role and you should consume them. Dovetailing with the endurance athletes like to measure and feel like they're in control of yes. everything. I love and that I nuance. Have, yes. Yeah. Feel. And I have a whole, I have this whole series plan on like con, uh, controls and illusion. Um, love but, it. uh, the next question I think for out of many people's mouths, well then how do I know that I'm getting enough macro micronutrients if I can't technically measure it? Perfect. Um, the same way that I will tell people, you know, whether you get enough macronutrients because you feel right. And that's very loose and abstract. But you know this in our world, um, we do symptom check ins a lot. And when I symptom when I say symptom check ins, I don't just mean how well did your run go or, you know, did, did you you know, did you have were you in a good mood today? Like we look at detailed symptoms of what's happening in the body, because th this is what I, and I just yesterday did a live presentation locally. And this is what I explained to the group. Every single thing that's happening in your body comes down to micronutrients, including things that you don't think about. For example, let's say you break your arm and it's a complex break and you need surgery and a very skilled surgeon is going to open you up and put that back together and put screws in and rods and all the things. And then they put you in a cast and then they send you home and tell you to go heal. All of that happens because you have micronutrients. The healing will never happen from the most skilled surgeon. The healing will never happen if you don't have micronutrients on board. And it's not just about eat more protein and eat more. If you don't have micronutrients, none of that can take place. So literally everything we do comes down to do we have enough of these resources to do the work. So the way you can tell whether you're getting enough or not is by paying attention to symptoms. And the biggest issue I find is that everyone isolates things and doesn't make the connection that it's one organism. So if your hair is falling out and you also are bruising easily or you're not sleeping through the night or, you know, or, 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 
they're not isolated things. They may have different specific causes, but in the end, they all come down to you're missing a resource somewhere that is responsible for making that go. Like at its most basic level, that's what it comes down to. So let's reduce it to its most basic level and pay attention to those symptoms. And if you have a bunch of those, you're probably not getting enough micronutrients. I'm continually amazed by humans. And I I don't know if this is just a human thing. I suspect that it is. But athletes' ability to take a whole range of different things and then attribute zero connection between all of them. Yes. (laughs) Like, and I mean, that's a lot of what I do as a coach in my coaching life is like connecting the dots, helping Mm -hmm. my athletes connect the dots, you know, of why this, why that. Oh, maybe you think the fact that you slept for three hours last night and then got the flu is why this weekend's long run didn't go well. Like, yeah. Absolutely no connection. How dare you? Zero connection. (laughs) Oh, I'm really, really sore. It's like, well, did you eat yesterday? Oh, no, my nutrition wasn't that. Well, that could be, you know, part of all these things. Um, So just kind of a a PSA for everybody out there, start paying attention to how you feel Mm -hmm. like and start connecting the dots. Yeah. Well, but (laughs) I think we think, and it's very much a human thing, right? Like we think that we can out logic physiology. We think we can out logic the body's feedback system, but you can't. Like, yes, you can still go run after three hours of sleep, but there's a price to pay. And you, speaking of not noticing things right away, you may not notice that beyond you're tired, right? You may not notice the price to pay beyond that, but the price is absolute depletion of resources in order to try to catch back up. And then if you stack those kind of things on top of each other, now you're in a hole that is really, really deep. And eventually you're going to have symptoms like, my hair's falling out. I don't know why. Or, you know, I keep getting a stress fracture or, you know, my Achilles is really adding up, but I haven't really increased mileage. Like what's happening? because it's all connected and you need to remember that we are just one giant organism and any work or anything that happens within that organism is going to affect every part of that organism. It's not isolated. For my winter runners out there, how many of you have been on a run that's a little gnarly? It's snowing, it's blowing, it's cold. And you're thinking, gee, I really wish I had, I don't know, ski goggles on right now. Does that even happen for runners? Well, yes, it does. And yes, you can. Well, you can also get them if you're, you know, a regular snow sports person as well. But my favorite sunglasses company, Gooder, is now making the Snow G's wraparound snow goggles for all of your extreme winter sporting needs. They are hyper affordable, only $75. They are anti-fog, anti-glare, wraparound fit, and they come with two lenses, one for low light conditions with anybody who's been a winter sport person for a while, You know how important those low light lenses can be on days when you need to protect your eyes, but the sun is nowhere to be seen. So get your snow G's now at gooder.com and you can get free shipping on your next order using code RUNEXP. That's code R-U-N-E-X-P for free shipping on your next order on gooder.com. G-O-O-D-R.com. Look good, run gooder. So let's talk about some of these micronutrients that we've been obliquely referencing up until now. Um, Obviously there are a whole bunch of them, probably do not have time to go into all of them. In your world, what do you recommend that endurance athletes understand about micronutrients and the ones they should be making sure they're getting enough of? Yeah. Um, Well, first I'm gonna give the caveat, the general caveat of they all matter. Because again, you're a human first. This is what I always say to our um, athletes. And obviously we work with a lot of athletes. You're a functioning human first. You also happen to have this hobby of putting, you know, 
purposeful injury and stress on yourself because you love to do endurance events, myself included. But first functional, right? So they all matter, but there are specific ones that are going to matter more when you also are an endurance athlete. The obvious ones I want to mention, and I, I want to kind of approach them from a different perspective because we again underestimate the role here is electrolytes. Electrolytes are part of your minerals, right? Part of your, your normal micronutrients. They are minerals. They are a component of the micronutrients. And we pay attention to electrolytes, but I think we focus too much on one versus all of the others. And we tend to attribute everything to that one. And there, there are several electrolytes. I'll just go through them real quick. Sodium is obviously the big one. And we all care about sodium because it's the one that is lost the most in sweat. We also need a whole bunch of it in the body. However, sodium has way less function in the body than magnesium, for example. But we all focus on sodium because we sweat it out while we're working out. Going back to the fact that you're a functional human first... We need to focus on all the other things that also need to happen so that you can even get out there for that run during which you're going to need sodium. So I do absolutely want everyone to focus on electrolytes. That's sodium, potassium, magnesium, chloride, calcium. Those are the ones we care about. Um, and also people don't think of calcium as one of the electrolytes, right? We think of that as like bone health and it's for that, but it's one of the electrolytes. Um, and the thing to also remember with electrolytes, this is a big one and this is why I'm not a huge fan and we'll probably cover this later of point in time measures for any of these point in time measures are going to tell you what's currently in your blood but if I for example for those of you watching this on video finish my drink here that is full of electrolytes my point in time measure in 30 minutes is going to be very different than it would have been an hour and a half ago that does not tell us anything about my long-term status of how well I'm using and maintaining these levels back to functional human, right? So I want everyone to care about sodium, potassium, and all of these others, but I don't want it to be one of those, I had sodium today during my run, therefore I'm good for the rest of the day. Or I had sodium, therefore I don't have to worry about the rest of them because it's just not as basic and as simple as that. Again, sodium being the one we consume the most of, we're talking, you know, I can, and I have, you know, electrolytes, I can be like, here's my sodium, you know, and it has this many milligrams of sodium. Mm -hmm. And that's the, a large number, you know, a couple hundred milligrams of sodium Our usual recommendations, a couple thousand milligrams of sodium per day. The other ones you're talking about, which are technically possibly even more important are measured in like micrograms, mm -hmm. right? These are like such small amounts. Um, I guess the, the question then, and of those, you know, when, when, would it be that somebody thinks, I don't know if I'm getting enough magnesium? Like, how do you know? I mean, right. again, aside from like that, you just don't feel great, but like, how do I know if I'm getting enough magnesium? Right. How do I know if I'm getting enough calcium? And that's a great question. Um, the very simple answer to that is, and I want to dig into magnesium specifically in just a second, is are you eating a wide variety of foods? Because if you are, and this is the caveat I always add, and you know I would, um, is your gut performing the way that it should? Because you can eat all the best foods, but if your gut's not doing what it should and you're not absorbing any of it, then it's all just down the drain, or rather the sewer in this case. It's going to go in and it's going to go out. Can you absorb all of these things? But in order to assess whether or not you're getting enough, start with, am I truly exposing myself to a wide variety of foods? And we know historically endurance runners have a sometimes very skewed perspective of food intake. There's a lot of culture around clean eating. I'm using air quotes for those not watching this on video. Um, that's not a thing and usually leads to much more restriction than anybody should be doing. There's also sometimes 
almost priding oneself of on, um, you know, it's, it's all fruits and veggies and that's great, but we need the whole grains and we need the proteins and also for hormonal function, we need the fats for joint cushioning. Let's not even, you know, go there. Like if you want your knees to still work, you need the fat, but also for hormonal functioning. So to assess whether or not you're getting enough without specifically counting, here's a couple of assumptions you can make. If you're not eating at least 30 different fruits and veggies per week, you're probably short on some micronutrients. You're also short on some bacteria. That doesn't mean servings of. People get really confused on that. Like I need an apple and a kiwi and then like they're listing 30 fruits. No. Exposure to 30 different kinds of plant-based foods is very different. Um, That's fruits, that's veggies, that's legumes, that's grains, that's seeds, that's nuts, that's anything that grew in the ground exposure. You have a slice of lettuce on a sandwich, that's one, right? That's the first one. The second one is let's not restrict things. If we're restricting things like, you know, we're really low protein or we're absolutely vegan or vegetarian, from a human metabolic function perspective, it's less than ideal. You're probably deficient in some things, including micronutrients. Does that mean you can't be vegan or vegetarian for whatever reason you choose to? No. You just have to be absolutely aware that you're immediately putting yourself in a camp where you're not meeting the biological needs of the human body in the most efficient way. So you have to go beyond that. Magnesium is the reason, the reason I want to harp on it is magnesium is responsible for over 500 enzymatic reactions in the body. Everything that happens is dependent on magnesium. Ironically, also when someone is iron deficient, again, air quotes, low ferritin, magnesium is usually our issue. It's very rarely actually iron. We can dig into that if you want in a second. But magnesium is sort of the big thing that most of us are deficient in. Our soil doesn't have as much magnesium as it used to. Most people don't eat a wide variety in their diet. Um, We tend to burn through it really fast because we have a lot of other things in our system that, that, that aren't working great and we need more magnesium to kind of backfill that. So electrolytes, yes, focus on the sodium, focus on getting extra while you're working out. But in my world, I want everyone to be focusing on minerals and specifically electrolytes for the remainder of the day as well. Not just let's take a sodium supplement while we're working out. That is vital, but that alone is not going to meet your needs of your electrolytes for the rest of the day if you're a very active individual. I know that magnesium is a a popular inclusion in a lot of sports recovery products, but like transdermal absorption like, yes. oh, I'll just take an Epsom salt bath or I have magnesium oil. And somebody asked me about this like a while back. And I, again, this is like my, like I, I actually looked up some research about transdermal absorption. Um, like that's great if you want to use it, but you're talking about ingesting magnesium. <laughs> I'm talking about ingesting. You can absolutely. And I have some of my folks where we really struggle with getting their magnesium back to where it needs to be. I will add a magnesium salt bath, you know, as one of those protocol pieces we use, but I'm talking about ingesting. You, your body is really good at getting what it needs from the food that you eat as long as you give it enough opportunity to do so. And that means enough total volume, which is where a lot of people struggle. And this is a different conversation, but you and I have talked about this in the past. You know, the the underlying current of a lot of endurance athletes thinking that they must be smaller in order to be better, which usually obviously being smaller requires restriction. Uh, and that is a massive obstacle that we have to overcome to get people to have enough exposure to food to begin with. But then also just variety. So enough volume, but enough variety. And if we can do that and your system is functional, you've done the work to make sure that you are able to digest and absorb everything 
then there's usually not a need for doing transdermal absorption as well, um, but it's certainly not going to harm. So if you want to sit in a magnesium bath, do that. It's not going to harm. The one other thing I'm going to say on magnesium, magnesium glycinate, because I know I'm going to get this question, glycinate is my favorite for this purpose. We don't want magnesium as a laxative. Uh, and for someone who's going to say, well, I can't go otherwise, that's a GI issue. That's not a magnesium issue. And you're putting a Band-Aid on a problem. We need to figure out why you can't go otherwise, because you should be going one to three times a day on your own. So that's a different conversation, and we need to dig into that. But using it as a laxative is not the ideal purpose. So magnesium glycinate is a much gentler, easy to absorb. I would do it at night, kind of calms you down. Great if you want to go to sleep. That's kind of where I would head with that. As opposed to magnesium oxide. Yeah, or citrate or, you know, any of the others. Yeah. If if anybody's had a colonoscopy, what you had to drink (laughs) was, that's the magnesium citrate, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's see how much comes out and how quickly. Yeah. Don't do that. The goal is never, um, colon cleanse is not a goal, right? Do it for a colonoscopy because we want you to have a preventative screening measure. Absolutely. But the rest of the time, the goal is not to clean out the entire intestine. That's not really ideal. What about, you know, regular foods? What are good sources of magnesium if somebody wants to start adding those in? The great thing, magnesium's in a lot of things. Plant foods, again, are going to be the biggest one. Green leafy veggies, nuts, seeds. Um, Yogurt actually has some. So, like, you find it everywhere. Low-fat milk will have it, uh, although I'm a bigger fan of you having full-fat milk. Regardless, in milk, you'll find it, right? Like, I don't want anyone going out and measuring and going, I have to eat three boxes of spinach in order to get enough magnesium. Eat a variety of foods. If in doubt for magnesium, and I know we're going to touch on this later, um, I'm not mad if anybody takes a magnesium supplement. I don't love anyone supplementing without knowing details, but if you're going to take a supplement, magnesium is going to be one of the easier ones and less you know, dangerous ones to take. Take it at night, keep it under 150 milligrams, do glycinate. I'm not mad there, but I would be much happier if you increased your intake of fruits and veggies and nuts and legumes and just tried to get it you know, from nature because your body knows what to do when it gets it in whole food form. And I know that there are people listening right now going, well, what, I do, what if I do both? Ah, I want to I get an A plus in magnesium, so I'm going to do both. Yeah, better's <laughs> not, be- or more's not always better. <laughs> uh, you don't need more, right? Like your body needs what it needs and it doesn't need anything above that. Your body's also really good, especially with the minerals. Whatever you don't need, your body's going to get rid of through your stool or through your skin or through, um, through your kidneys. So like, don't make the body do more work. You don't need more, right? Like if you sleep for 10 hours, sleeping for 20 is not going to be better. (laughs) We don't need to be doing that. That's not how we naturally function. So just do the right thing and do enough of that and do that consistently. And then you don't have to worry about it. You mentioned iron in relation to magnesium. And I I did a whole podcast episode last season on iron, um, but it's an important one. Let's talk about it. So iron, in my opinion, is absolutely misunderstood. Um, As humans, we recycle the vast majority of our iron. We don't actually lose a lot of iron. Obviously, women lose more than men because you're going to lose it in blood. So menstruating women are going to lose it every month. However, we have a very small need for exogenous iron in our diet every day, like one to two milligrams, like a really small amount. So when most people have their levels checked, especially endurance athletes, we tend to have ferritin checked. And ferritin is a storage protein of iron. It is not iron itself. It is the, think of it, this is how I always explain. Ferritin is like the Uber that takes iron to where you can use it. And usually we don't have an iron issue. We have an Uber issue. We have an issue of moving iron where it needs to go. And that iron transport, that movement from stored iron, or rather from from iron present in your tissue and in in your blood to get it to ferritin where you can access it, that is driven by magnesium, copper, and vitamin A. 
So usually when we have an issue of, and you'll see this a lot when you have an athlete where like total iron is fine, but their ferritin is low. What's the solution the physician's going to give them? More iron. What? But like we have plenty of total iron. We just can't move it. So putting more total iron in there is not going to make more Ubers show up. Like that's just, you just now have more people standing outside the venue trying to get where they can't go. So instead what we need is vitamin A, and copper and magnesium, and magnesium at the front end of that entire cascade. You need copper and vitamin A to kind of move iron where it needs to go through a protein called ceruloplasmin. We're getting into the into the weeds here now. But in order for that to happen, you need magnesium. And magnesium gets used, like I said, for everything. And some people, especially for high stress, if we have what I like to call holes in the bucket, and I'll explain that in just a second. But when we have those things going on, we burn magnesium at a much higher rate than we would otherwise. So you can put all the iron in your system you want. If you do not have a way to shunt it into ferritin where it's usable, your ferritin is going to remain low. So putting more iron in your system is at best a Band-Aid, at worst backing up the system more. So we need to instead focus on all of these others. This is again why trace minerals are so vital. We need to focus on things like magnesium and copper and bioavailable vitamin A. I want to talk about that as well because that gets confused often. Um, but we need those things in play in order to then move stuff forward. I wanted to ask about the symptoms of, of low iron and how many, especially for female athletes, um, talking about siloing, right? All these different things, how you'll, I don't know, you're, this must be your experience because I know it's mine and I don't even do nutrition stuff. Some will come to me, list all of the symptoms of low iron as individual symptoms and think they have absolutely zero connection and then say, do you think these are related? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I mean, the biggest one that people are going to see is fatigue, you know, like that's sort of the main one that everyone's going to see. But in the end, as far as connection, it just comes back to understanding that nothing operates nothing operates in a silo, nothing operates in a bubble, nothing operates in a vacuum. If your body's having symptoms, if you have energy production symptoms, if you have, you know, what whatever other symptom you want to, whatever the symptom is, hair, skin, nails, fatigue, um, brain fog, you know, there's a thousand symptoms for a thousand micronutrients. They all come back down to, do you have access to the things you need and can you move them where they need to be moved? And you have to stop looking at them as this is a problem over here and I'm going to take a pill for that. And this is a problem over here. I'm going to take a pill for that. How do they come together? That's where we need to look. What I find interesting um, is that a lot of times runners will ignore all the symptoms that as long as it's not impacting their running. Yes. Right. They'll, they'll, they're, <laughs> everything we'll accept else feels everything. terrible, yeah. right? Until, oh, all of a sudden I couldn't hit my paces in my workout or my heart rate's too high on my easy runs or I'm plateauing in my training. And like, and that's, I, please don't get to that place, runner listening. Please don't get to the place where you are now impacting your training because your life was impacted before you even noticed it in your training. Yeah. And I think sometimes, especially with endurance athletes, we almost wear like a badge of honor. Like, look how much I was able to get done despite being tired when really it should be like, whoa, I like put everything on pause and figured out why I'm so tired even after eight hours of sleep or 10 hours of sleep or even after a rest day. Why am I still so tired as soon as I get out there? Right. Like that's what I'm impressed by when people do that. Not when they tell me, look how much I can do, even though I feel like garbage. No, that doesn't impress me a whole lot. That's like, let's pause and figure out why you feel like garbage because you shouldn't. And I don't even care if you're training for an ultra marathon. You still shouldn't feel like garbage. If we feel like garbage, something has gone really wrong and we're not supporting somewhere. So let's take a step back, support and figure out how to get you through that ultra marathon while you're feeling as as good as you can while training for an ultra marathon. 
And again, for anybody who's trying to get an A plus in iron, no, just taking a preventative supplement, as Kirsten said, is not going to do anything. And it's actually going to cause more problems specifically with iron. Iron is toxic at certain levels. If you do have iron supplements in the house and you have children in the house, make sure they are way up high and locked up, the supplement, not the children, um, because they can, <laughs> you can actually cause, um, it, it can be fatal. Iron ingestion can be fatal. Um, but again, if the issue is moving iron from where it is not accessible to you to where you can access it, if that's the issue, putting more stuff into a clogged drain is not going to help the drain unclog. You're just going to cause more problems and you're going to end up burning through more magnesium and need more vitamin A and cause a bunch of other issues because now you're pulling these resources from other locations to try to fix this problem. Again, nothing is isolated, which is also the reason that I don't love when people supplement willy-nilly on their own because you don't understand the cascades that are going to happen behind the scenes that are going to cause five other things, five other dominoes to now fall because you're only focused on this one thing in front of you and you don't understand the branches that go out from that one interaction. Which is, which I feel like is, you know, we're, we're going through some of these branches now because we've started with electrolytes mm-hmm. and then we went to magnesium and now we're at iron and these are all related. And now I want to talk about vitamin A because you highlighted that. Especially- I did. Yeah. Bioavailability, which I, I just adore. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite words, right? It's such a, it's such, it's such a clinical nerdy word, but um, bioavailability just means can your body easily access this? Um, and there's multiple ways that something is not bioavailable or less bioavailable. Like for example, iron that is stuck in tissues is not bioavailable. You can't get to it. You need it in ferritin. So that would be an example. But another example would be of something being less bioavailable because your body's not meant to use it in that fashion. It has to do work to get it to where it needs it to. Vitamin A is one of those. Like beta carotene is a precursor of vitamin A, right? So people will say, well, I get my vitamin A because I eat a lot of carrots. You're not getting vitamin A. You're getting beta carotene, which is a precursor, and your body now has to make vitamin A. Retinol, which comes only from animals. So for all of my vegetarians and all my vegan friends and all my pescatarian friends, um, my plant-forward people, and I'm a big fan of plant-forward, right? Like you, I just mentioned earlier, 30 different plant foods per week. But if that means exclusion of animal products, you're making it harder for your body because it's just not how we're metabolically built. You can get around it, yes. However, it's going to immediately make it harder for you to get access to things like active vitamin A. And part of what I just mentioned with iron is you need active vitamin A to make that process go. So if you're an athlete and let's say you're a vegetarian and your ferritin is chronically low and you're taking an iron supplement, but you also know that you're not eating enough bioavailable protein, animal-based protein, that cycle is forever going to haunt you because it's just not possible physiologically for your body to make that happen easily. It's just going to be harder. That's just the reality of it because that's not how it's designed to function. You can still work with that and get around that. You're just making it harder. So you also have to understand that patience piece we said at the very beginning of this. It's going to take longer to do it that route, to do it the vegetarian route or the, you know, I'm just not eating those foods because where's where's it going to come from? I want to go on a tangent here because I want to ask you a question and I want to get your opinion on something is that when... The, the marketing power of people telling their stories of dramatic change, this changed my life. And they have a bunch of people wanting or trying to chase whatever that person is describing that sometimes you see this with athletes who go plant-based um, or not even athletes, just famous people who say, oh, I went vegan and like my entire world changed and I feel all these things that I never felt. And they say it's you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you said earlier, for, as a dietitian, 
you it's not that you can't be plant-based it's right. just that it's going to be harder um what do you attribute that to when people say my entire world changed and I became a vegan and I gained all the muscles that I wanted and my endurance performance skyrocketed like what's going on there well, so first I'm going to say they probably didn't gain all the muscle they wanted. They may have lost some body fat to make visible some muscle that was there because it's really, really hard to gain a bunch of muscle without a lot of available protein. But the bigger thing that's probably happening is that these people were eating an inadequate variety of plant intake before they made that switch. So they feel better because now they're getting more resources than they were before before. But, 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 this is the big caveat. They are now also losing other resources that eventually they're going to recognize this is now harder. Things like, well, it's really hard to keep my ferritin up. Right, because we're missing key steps in that process. We're missing key, you know, resources to literally make this production line go. So there might be an initial immediate switch, but that's sort of like saying, I went from eating nothing to eating 500 calories a day. I feel 100 times better, of course, because you ate nothing, but now we're eating a little bit. But imagine if you went from eating nothing to eating all the calories you needed, how great you would feel. This is kind of that same same thing. So in my experience, people who have made that drastic, drastic switch weren't getting enough mineral micronutrient variety in their prior diet. And when you go plant-based, you're automatically going to get a wider variety because plants are just chock full of that stuff, but you are now still cutting out another piece. So the, the moral of that story is the beautiful part about human metabolism is that we don't have to do anything extreme at all. We are literally built to eat all the things. <laughs> So like we don't have to go one way or the other. You don't have to cut out all the plants and no carbs and whatever. That's terrible. Don't do that. But you also don't have to go the other way and, and cut out all animal sources. Now, if this is an ethical question for somebody and, you know, we're getting on a tangent here. I recognize that. But if it's an ethical question for somebody who chooses not to, to consume animal products, I fully respect that a thousand percent. That's anyone's choice. You just have to be cognizant that your physiology doesn't change because you have made this psychological, you know, cognizant choice, you have to then understand this ethical choice requires you to put more effort into giving your physiology what it requires. Yes, that's it. That's, yeah. Yes. Love that. <laughs> Love yes. that. Um, and for anybody who is looking for, uh, for real guidance on this, you know, your run coach is not the person who should be telling you what to eat. Um, this is where a dietitian is going to be your friend. <laughs> you you yeah. really need someone who understands that all of these things have further repercussions, right? Like I had in preparation for this, I had a couple of things on my list because I knew you were going to, you know, you wanted to talk about what are the ones that we care about for athletes. I want to real quick talk about zinc, um, especially post-pandemic, because zinc obviously is hugely involved in, or can we say post-pandemic? We're on, we're still in it. I don't know, but you know, wherever we are on that spectrum, right? Um, having recently gone through a very active pandemic, here we are. Zinc obviously plays a huge role in immune function, and everyone and their brother was taking a zinc supplement. But this is that point of you don't know what you're doing unless you understand what you're doing, and taking a zinc supplement will directly affect your copper which I mentioned earlier, directly affects your iron and copper affects a bunch of other things. And it, it comes down to the, you don't want someone who's like, oh, I did this thing or here's this supplement or here's this pill and just take that at face value because it always comes down to what is it in relation to all the other things? What is your original? And I talked about the bucket earlier. So when I say bucket, I mean your body's ability to hold on to the resources you're putting in. If you think of your body as a bucket and you put all the good stuff in, top, in the top, but your bucket has a bunch of holes, 
It doesn't matter how much good stuff you put in at the top. We need to plug the holes, which is, again, why taking an iron supplement to get your ferritin up is not a long-term solution. It's a Band-Aid by putting more stuff in the top, but we still have a leak. Same thing with things like zinc and copper. Everything interacts, and your body is a very fine-tuned, giant chemistry experiment. And if anybody's ever taking high school chemistry, you remember if you put the wrong stuff and it goes poof in your face and your teacher gets really mad and you have to clean up a bunch of stuff and you probably have to go to the principal's office. You don't want all of that. So we don't want to just willy nilly take things and take these kind of, you know, recommendations from people who don't understand the big picture of it. Um, I'm not meant to ever write you a training plan. That's not my shtick. It's not what I do. Please go see Elizabeth and her her team for that. That is not my thing. But like when it comes to what do you put in your body, especially when we're talking supplements or specific nutrients, you really have to understand the big picture because there is always a fallout. There's always a domino effect that affects seven other things. You mentioned copper a couple times and I don't, you know, I think most people are going to think of copper, like mm-hmm. the metal that's made pennies are made out of or used to be made out of. Um, don't eat pennies. Yeah. Don't eat pennies. Don't eat pennies now because I actually think they're made of zinc. But. I think they are, right? So definitely don't yeah. eat pennies now, but also pennies are disgusting. So please do not put them anywhere near your face. Um, wash your hands after you handle pennies. Um, copper, yes, copper has a huge impact on the body. It's part of making energy. We need copper in the Krebs cycle just to produce energy. We need it for connective tissue. We need it for our blood vessels. We need it for iron transport. We need a very small amount of it. Copper is one of our trace minerals. We need a very small amount. But whoever thinks about, I have to consume copper, right? This is, again, it comes back to you need a variety of foods. Perfect example, copper is found in its highest amounts in animal products, in meat, right? Um, Organ meats, fish, shellfish, those kind of things. You can also find it in nuts and seeds. You find it in chocolate. So if you're not sure if you're eating enough copper, here's my advice to include chocolate as part of a healthy diet. Do not exclude things, right? But copper and zinc are antagonists. So this was my point with zinc earlier. If you take in a bunch of zinc, it's automatically going to suppress your ability to hold on to copper. So you trying to support your immune system by taking a bunch of exogenous zinc will inadvertently lower your copper, which lowers your iron, which lowers your connective tissue and energy production. And if you can't produce energy, good luck fighting a virus, right? So everything plays together. There's not one nutrient that does one magic thing. And if I just take this one thing, it fixes everything. Like we said earlier, it's just not how it works. It's all interconnected. And we want to make sure that we have a handle on the big picture of it, which to bring it down to the lowest common denominator is eat a wide variety of foods, don't eat the same 10 things all the time, and don't be scared of things because all of it has a place. All of it has a place. This reminds me of, and I don't know if this is still uh, fashionable, but some some years ago, 5, 10, 15 years ago, it was very fashionable to take very high doses of vitamin D for God knows a variety of things. Um, uh, tell me about that. Let's talk about vitamin D. Let's talk about vitamin D. So vitamin D, obviously hugely important, um, but also there are four vitamins that are what we call the fat-soluble vitamins. It's vitamins A, D, E, N, K. Um, for those of us who went to school for nutrition, ADEC, 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 that was just drilled into your brain, so you knew those were the fat-soluble ones. Um, they get stored, is my point. Your water-soluble ones don't really get stored when there's too many. That's all the others, by the way. All the other micronutrients are water-soluble. When there's too many, your body's really good at just getting rid of them. We pee them out, you know, they we sweat them out we lose them through stool but the fat soluble ones get stored and it is possible to have an overdose of any of these fat soluble ones the perfect example vitamin a actually for anyone who has ever you know through their teenage years or early 20s had by a dermatologist been suggested to take accutane accutane is literally just a pharmaceutical very high dose vitamin a 
you have to sign like seven different agreements if you are ever going to take Accutane and you have to be on hormonal birth control if you're a female because your fetus will literally have birth defects if you're on Accutane. And take pregnancy tests and like Constantly. slather your face. Your everything, everything dries out. Yes, yeah. because vitamin A, all of these things have purposes, right? And high dose of these things are very detrimental to the body. In my world, as a dietitian, no one should be on permanent supplementation unless we know we're dealing with a chronic illness. If we're dealing with a chronic illness where we know there's going to be deficiency, an example will be celiac disease. You are just going to be deficient because the inside of your intestine is not doing great and that's where we take in our stuff, right? Um, those kind of things. Or we know there's a medication at play. A great example of this, and I'll answer your vitamin D question in just a second. So many tangents. But a great example of this will be the B vitamins if you're on hormonal birth control. You should automatically be on a good B complex because you're always depleted. You just are by the nature of what you're doing with taking this exogenous estrogen. These are things that aren't mentioned and things that you don't think about. B vitamins, by the way, hugely responsible for energy production. So if you're an endurance runner who's always tired and you're on birth control, consider your B vitamins. Back to vitamin D, it's fat soluble. So for that version alone, we don't want to take more than we need to take. Vitamin D is really hard to get from food. There just isn't a lot. There aren't a lot of great sources. Fortified milk and margarine are kind of what you're left with. But long-term supplementation of it also, here's another reason not to do that, will affect your ferritin status. It affects that whole transporting iron to where it's active. So now we have oxygen issues, right? Now we have fatigue issues. You don't need more than you need. How do you get it? Sun exposure. Yes, for a little bit without sunscreen. Yes, I get it. This is a dichotomy that we constantly play, right? Like don't go outside for an hour without sunscreen. Very bad. Melanoma, very bad. But as humans also, how do we make vitamin D? Because it's an active vitamin. It's actually hormonal status vitamin in our system is through sun exposure. And then your liver does what the liver does because it's beautiful and produces this, this hormone, this active vitamin D in your body. So you need it, but you don't need to be supplementing it. You don't need to take mega doses. If you have had a serum test from your physician and it says it's low, let's look at where we need to make lifestyle changes for it not to be low. If you are Caucasian and you live way north in the Northern Hemisphere and it is winter, you're gonna automatically be lower during that time of year. But are you always low? Like maybe have your doctor recheck in the summer before we just willy-nilly start supplementing. Maybe you were low because right now it's January. <laughs> maybe let's recheck in April and maybe spend a little bit more time with your upper body, you know, arms and, and neck and face exposed and see if you're still low in April before we go ahead and throw a heavy duty supplement at it. I would imagine the vitamin D deficiency it's probably a real issue early in the pandemic when nobody went outside. Probably, yeah. Do you, I remember when I was, um, you know, in the 90s, I remember seeing pictures of Russian kids in like northern Russia, you know, that like literally could not be outside because it was too cold and they had them inside under UV lamps to try to produce vitamin D. Um, so this is a real thing, but reality, we have the opportunity to get outside and do that and sit for, you know, all you need is 10, 15 minutes with your sun exposed or your face exposed to sunlight. Um, or even I think it's your forearms. Like roll your sleeves up. Right. <laughs> Go stand That's on your it, balcony right? or out in your yard. Yeah. It's it's like you said. There's no shortcut. It's just lifestyle of of habits that humans are meant to be doing. We are we are designed the way we are because we can literally make a active hormone from the sun. How freaking cool is that? That we can do that. I'm such a nerd over this stuff. Let's do that instead of here's a five thousand IU supplement that I now take every day while it's affecting a bunch of other things. This, I want to talk about vitamin B next, but I also want to go at this in a, the way that things are marketed to us. Because, you know, sun exposure, vitamin D, important. I'm immediately, I immediately think of 
lifestyle gurus who tell you to start your day with, you know, grounding and putting your face in the sun. And oh, by the way, they can sell you this really cool thing that's going to help you do it. Yeah. Right. So and so it, it when we talk about, I want to say misinformation or just the way that things are marketed to people who are who are desperate or are trying to genuinely make changes. Um, sometimes the things that are being sold, the truth is is the underlying thing. Like there is some truth in this, but you don't need to be sold the thing in order to make the, it happen. Right. Yes, 100%. Uh, there is absolute truth to you should have sun exposure or full light exposure first thing in the morning, not just for vitamin D production, but back to our, our hormone conversation last time for normal cortisol functioning, which then affects thyroid and insulin and all the other things, right? You do want light exposure in the, mo- in the morning, but it's, it comes down to discernment of what would the human body in nature naturally do? And also, does this fit into the reality of my life? And also, does this person have a hidden agenda at telling me to do this? And that's the key. You have to trust your gut. If it feels like this person has a hidden agenda, then there's probably a hidden agenda. Now, this is not to say there's never a space for supplementation. You and I know this because we've worked together on this. You know, sometimes there's a very specific reason for supplementation. But if that person can't explain to you why with science behind it and also can't tell you when you'll be done with it, I would perk up and be like, wait, what? Because again, I said this earlier, it should be it should be temporary. We should figure out why this is happening. Like, why is your ferritin low? Oh, you have no copper in your system. Let's fix that. And then your ferritin should recover. It might take a few months, but it'll recover, right? Like there, there should be an exit strategy. It shouldn't be a, this is now you forever and here's my $29 a month subscription. No, we don't need that. It's that the, so the reason I kind of thought of this is that I'm thinking back to the vitamin aisle in drugstore and when you look at B vitamins, because I, I want to ask about B vitamins next, um, is that on the vitamin bottle, for some reason, it's marketed as an energy booster, energy complex. I don't know how you go to the, the, the drugstore, you go to CVS, you know, B12 complex, energy complex. Yeah. And I think the average person will look at that and say, this gives me energy in in the way that we think of this like food gives me energy right right? the way that some people believe that caffeine gives them energy it's not what it's giving you but they look at this vitamin and say oh this will give me energy right that's that's not it's it's weird that it's allowed to be marketed that way because technically uh, technically kind of but yeah but the way that you think it is really not yeah that's the crazy thing about and you see this in that aisle right like it's not regulated. You can put on a supplement bottle whatever you want. You can be like, this will give you straight A's at school. And then right underneath, it'll say not evaluated by the FDA because like there's literally nobody's going to check. You can essentially say whatever, right? Which is another reason to use discernment with whether or not you should be supplementing. But B vitamins don't give you energy. Nothing gives you energy unless it's a carbohydrate, protein, or a fat. In theory, alcohol, because you can digest it and produce ATP, which is our form of energy from it, could, but uh, there's a huge fallout from that. So please, again, don't use alcohol as this, but carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. No vitamin, no mineral can give you energy. Now, the reason people make that leap and the reason it's on the bottle is because they're directly involved in the production, the conversion of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats into, again, ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is what we as humans use to produce energy for me to sit here and talk and gesticulate with my hands and for us to you know pump blood and the heart to do its thing 
ATP is what does that. You need these vitamins and minerals at every juncture of that pathway. It's like what I was saying earlier, magnesium makes 500 plus enzymatic reactions happen. You can eat all the carbohydrate you want. If you don't have magnesium, you will die. If you don't have B vitamins, you will die. Now you can go a long time being deficient in these vitamins, but this again is where you have symptoms. This is all the symptoms. Your body will still try to go, but it's like every check engine light is on, but you're ignoring all the check engine lights and pretending none of them coexist. Like what you were saying earlier, you know, people tend to isolate symptoms. Imagine you're driving in your car and seven things are lit up on your dashboard. You're not going to go into the mechanic and go, I just want you to deal with that one. I don't think the others are related. You're going to go in and go, my car is really messed up. Like it's really messed up. Fix it, right? That's how we have to start looking at it. And B vitamins are hugely important in this because they directly affect the energy breakdown of carbohydrate, proteins, and fats. Um, but you mentioned B12 specifically, and I love I love talking about B12 because, again, everybody harps on this one thing. It's not magic. It will not give you energy. The reason most people find themselves deficient in B12 if they were to go take a test, you know, had their doctor check on B12, it's usually one of two things. The first one brings us back to why I don't love when someone's a vegan and I don't love when someone's a vegetarian. B12 comes from animal sources. So immediately there's there's no plant source of B12, no good one. And you can tell me algae all day. Do you know the amount of algae you would have to eat in order to get enough vitamin B12 if you could just go eat some chicken, right? And again, I respect if you choose not to, that's fine. Just be cognizant you're not getting enough even with algae in the mix. You're just not going to get enough. The second reason that you're going to be deficient in B12 is because of stomach acid. B12 gets digested through something called intrinsic factor, gets absorbed, I should say, by something called intrinsic factor that gets pushed into your stomach and your intestine in order to um, absorb it. It gets triggered by stomach acid. Your stomach is very acidic for a reason. If that stomach acidity changes, you don't produce enough intrinsic factor and you will never absorb B12. You can take all the supplements you want. You're going to pop that pill and you're still not going to absorb it. It's still just going to go through a GI tract and come out the other end. Stomach acid is a huge issue for many, many people. And it usually is mistaken for having too much stomach acid. And it's usually low stomach acid or our stomach acid has become too basic, usually the result of um, chronic restrictive intake, the result of low carbohydrate intake, the result of going too long without eating, intermittent fasting, I'm looking at you, those kind of things. Um, it can also be pathogenic, very, very common. H. pylori is the first thing that comes to mind there. Very common pathogen that people don't recognize they have. And a lot of physicians will say is commensal. Um, I will always die on this hill that it will affect your digestion and therefore it is not, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, there's many things that affect it. So side note, if you find yourself having to take an antacid after meals, you probably have low stomach acid, not high, and you're making the problem worse. You're putting a Band-Aid on a hole in a bucket. We got to fix the hole in the bucket. Those kind of things will hinder absorption. So then when you think I'm taking this and it's going to help with energy production, again, you're pouring more in the top. So you might even feel a temporary improvement, but only as long as you're taking that supplement. And if that improvement goes away, the second you stop taking that supplement, you've never fixed the problem. You've put a temporary Band-Aid on a hole in a bucket. And the second we remove the overflow, we're right back at square one. I'm continually amazed by our body's ability to keep going even when it shouldn't. And I, I say this to my athletes all the time is that, you know, there almost nothing that's going to happen to you in your training um, is going to be immediately seen. Yes. Right. Even and immediately, I'm even talking like a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes we're even talking about a couple of months is yep. that your body has the most amazing ability to keep going when you ask it to keep going, even though it is like 
and we'll go back to our car analogy, essentially shedding parts as it rolls down the highway. Right? Like you've lost all um, of your fenders and everything. Yes. Yeah. And a wheel's coming off yep. and the roof's, you know, like it's, but, but you will keep going because you ask it to, because yep. you ask it to. And, um, but nobody would ever mistake that for being in good, in good condition. No, right? nobody would ever look at that and say, oh, but it's can, it's still going. Everything must be fine. And it's a hunk of junk. <laughs> it's a hunk of junk. I love that. I was explaining this yesterday when I was doing that live presentation. When we are in a deficit, whether that's intentional or otherwise, and when I say deficit, everyone thinks calorically, right? But you're still in a deficit if you're missing micronutrients. You just A deficit just means we don't have enough of this resource that we need, which is why in my world, anybody who follows, follows us on social media, you hear me talk about resources all the time. We need the resources to support the body and what we're asking it to do. So when we find ourselves in a deficit, intentional or not, your body is consuming itself to meet that need. Your body is internally breaking down whatever resources it has on this, which is also why you get stress fractures. You're short on calcium intake and all of these other, you need phosphorus, you need potassium, you need all these things. Guess where you have a lot of them in your bones. So we're going to start tearing that down because you're asking me to continue to move and I need the stuff in order to continue to move. So I'm just going to take it from my resources, AKA my bones. And you may not realize that you are building up to a stress fracture for months and months and months and months. Your ferritin didn't go from totally okay to 15 in a minute that's didn't happen unless you're like actively bleeding like you have an acute injury and you're like losing blood in which case hopefully you're in the hospital right and then they'll give you a transfusion to fix that but that stuff doesn't happen immediately that happens from your body being forced to take resources that it has stored in order to make the process continue going because like you said your body your body is your best friend it will do whatever it wants to support you in every crazy stupid thing you want to do and it will continue to do what it has to in order to make the process go even at your own physical detriment until it can't anymore and that's when you start paying attention go oh something's way wrong like i have a stress fracture and now i can't run for three months right but we could have probably prevented that if we had just paid a lot of attention to adequate resource availability really early in the game. What are some of the other micronutrients that you think you kind of want to name drop so people are aware of them? I feel like those are the big ones because I don't want everyone to worry about I have to list them all. To me, it's the B vitamins. And for every female of childbearing age that has ever been or is currently on hormonal birth control, I'm going to harp on this. I don't care that it's an IUD. It's less of an effect if it's an IUD. Copper IUD, side note. Also, I'm not a huge fan of copper IUDs because copper and zinc, we talked about this earlier. Research is behind on this on whether or not there is true leakage into the system and whether or not we're absorbing it. Um, but in practice, I see it all the time. But even if you're on a hormonal IUD, B vitamins are immediately affected. Um, I really, really, really want athletes to be hyper vigilant on their electrolytes. And I don't care that you're doing it during the hour when you're running. I want you to worry about it the rest of the day. Magnesium is my big one on that. I constantly like in this right here, I'm not working out right now, but I constantly have a <laughs> hydrate formula in there that is majority magnesium. Um, iron, I actually don't want to harp on that much. I mentioned iron here because I know that's on the forefront of every endurance. I think my ferritin is low. Well, your ferritin shouldn't be low and it's usually not ferritin. So copper to me is the big one. Copper to me is like the unsung hero that nobody ever pays attention to. Copper and magnesium are the two big guns that I want you to worry about. I want you to not be taking artificial things if you don't have to. If you have a chronic condition, you might have to, but even then work with somebody who is a specialist in nutrition, 
not medicine. Those are two very different things. You don't want me stitching up that broken arm or, you know, diagnosing your stress fracture. That's not my job, but you don't want your doctor telling you what you need to be taking from a nutrient perspective either. Um, so long winded answer to your question. I don't want to harp on others because these are the ones that matter. Um, and I want people to not worry about the details because the details are my job, right? It's not like, I'm not expecting anyone to understand the cascade that happens when they start messing with iron supplementation. I want people to pay attention to, am I exposing myself to a lot of foods? Am I chronically restricting foods because I'm scared of certain foods? Um, have I put myself in a category that is immediately going to be more at risk, vegan, vegetarian, um, keto, right? Intermittent fasting, any of these things that restrict your access to resources are going to affect all of these things. So like, stop doing that. On the flips and not on the, side, it's not, not on the flip side, that's not what I want meant to say. Say, it seems like the other part of those phrases when people say, you know, oh, but I, I do this. Um, I do like, inter uh, not me. Oh, but intermittent fasting really helps me control my caloric intake. Or, you know, I, I'm vegetarian because um, I just think not for ethical reasons. I just think that plant-based foods are going to be, you know, better for my health. Um, or, you know, oh, I, I don't want to take in too many electrolytes. Uh, a lot of those mixes have, uh, have sugar in it. There's always like the the next part of that sentence that's never spoken out loud is because I'm afraid of body composition changes. Yes. Nobody's ever doing this because they're afraid they're going to yes. lose weight. Right. <laughs> my my first thing when you just said, you know, they want to they want to control caloric intake, literally my intake, literally my first thought was, but why? Why is it that as humans and specifically as endurance athletes, our goal is always to control caloric intake? My goal is to fuel the crap out of myself. I want to consume as much as I possibly can to give my body what it needs. Now, people freak out because they usually come out of, they look at it from a perspective of years and years and years of control and restriction. So then the idea of fuel as much as you possibly can seems like a free for all and we're going to go over a cliff and all is lost and oh my God, what's going to happen? See, when you know how to fuel your yourself, that doesn't happen. I don't eat more than I need to. I don't binge on things because I don't restrict on things, right? It's why is caloric intake the hill that we want to die on? Why is that the place that we put all the effort into? Again, I'm just because it's fresh in my brain because I was there yesterday. I, I did this entire presentation and I started it from the perspective of people equate nutrition with, with weight loss. And I don't know who that person was who connected the two, but I would like 10 minutes in a dark room alone with this person because it's horrible and has set us up for such failure. But I went through all of that and reframed it for them. At the end, somebody said, but so what you're saying is if I take really good care of my body, it'll lose the weight on its own. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how frustrating it is that we do that and we come back to the full circle here we are. My answer to her was maybe if it was meant to, but if it wasn't meant to, it won't. And that's the part nobody likes. Listen, not everyone is meant to be a size two. Your body is meant to be what it is meant to be, but you have probably never given it the chance to actually be what it's meant to be because you've probably never supported it. Because if you grew up in the Western world and you grew up in the last four decades in the Western world, you grew up with restriction, forget last decade, the last hundred years, you grew up with restriction and strange things and weird stuff to do with your body for that entire time. We have probably never been in a place where you have just fully fueled everything that you're doing while fully understanding how to do that. So then weight becomes a forefront of your brain because as soon as you change something, yeah, you might gain weight, 
because you don't know how to do it. And I'm not saying there's a right way to do it where you don't gain weight. No, no. I'm saying the body is going to have to go through what it has to go through to recalibrate everything. It's like when you take your car in, it might be a $5,000 bill because you let it go for a really long time. And that's now the price you have to pay to get it all back. Weight gain, temporary, might be the price that has to be paid to get it all back. But then in the end, wherever your body settles, when it actually has all the nutrients it needs and there's no holes in your bucket and you're fueling it to support the activity that you're asking it to do, it's going to settle exactly where it's meant to be. But that's a really untangible thing for people and they don't love that. And back to that illusion of control. Yes. Yeah. If I, if I can control, if I have this goal and I can control all of these things, I will then get to my goal. Maybe. <laughs> right. But at what cost? And was that even something you were supposed to be doing? And the thing that really kind of, the more, like the more time I spend in this space, um, the more frustrating it is for me as a coach to watch athletes say that they have these big performance goals. And I'm like, cool, let's go after them. And they say, oh, but I also want to lose weight. Yeah, no. <laughs> Okay. I mean, yeah. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Like I can help you reach your performance goals. I cannot help you do that if you are also trying to fit into your genes from high school. Right. (laughs) Which like back to that, like, why is that even ever a goal? Right? Like you said, they can reach their, but why is the goal a body size? Why is the goal that? Why is the goal not, I want to perform at this level, period, period. Right. It's, it's one of those, and I said this to one of my clients the other day who was an ultra marathoner, and you know, we had to have a really hard heart-to-heart in the beginning where I was, she's like, I would love to change my body composition and I want to run 100 miles. And I'm like, pick one. Reality, pick one. And also, if you're here to lose body fat, I'm not the dietitian for you. I'm happy to send you to somebody who is, but I'm not that person because I'm here to help you fuel the crap out of yourself. I'm here to f- put all the resources in and support all the needs and all the work and all the stuff and make you the most functional person I can make you. I want you to be functionally optimal. That's what I want. I don't want, I don't care what size pants you wear, right? And that's not to say you can't be functional, op, functionally optimal and fit into the pants you want to fit into if that's what your body's meant to do. But when you're trying to force it and control it, we can't do that. I won't do that. And second, we're definitely not doing it while you're training. That's not happening. I have to say, it's nice to see, not nice to see, it's devastating to see, but there are a lot of professional athletes and performing professional athletes who are coming out recently and talking about, you know, under fueling ended my career. Yes. (laughs) Under eating ended my career. Me trying to chase X body fat percentage or X weight ended my career from reds or stress fractures or, you know, massive just health issues. Um, and then, and I know this is going to be a part of the conversation that us regular runners are having, because I've already heard this is that, well, it's, you know, it's okay for, for them to, I understand why they did it. Cause they were trying to chase a paycheck and I'm in my, and then I'm like, but why are you trying to do it? Right. Right. And you know, if you look at them and say, well, okay, if, if, okay, fine. You know what? If we look at them and say high risk, high reward, mm-hmm. Maybe they made choices that were disadvantageous for their long-term health. It ended their career early, but they did get paid. Would they want to go back and change it? I'm sure they probably would. But knowing all of that, why are you then recreational athlete who is not earning paychecks from winning races? Why are you doing the same things that they were doing? Right. And knowing what happened to them. 
Right. Exactly. Knowing what happened to them. And even with them, like you said, there's there's not a price that anyone is probably willing to pay for their health. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what the paycheck is, because there are there are circumstances where we've gone so far that coming back from that is really hard and sometimes impossible. Autoimmunity is the first thing that comes to mind with me, which I see constantly in my chronic overtrainer, undereater clients. Once we start that autoimmune cascade, good luck coming back out of that. We're going to control it and manage it as best as we can. But that's it. Knowing that, why would a person where your your main function is to be, you know, a wife or a mother or a husband or a friend or a brother or a dad or a whatever, and you're living your normal life and you're you're doing your job and you're doing all these other things and you also happen to be a runner. And even if you have high running goals, right? You're like, I want to chase a sub three marathon or whatever. That's great, but you're still doing it recreationally. Why would you out of sacrifice everything that you're doing for something that is such a minor part of who you are? And I think this is where the hang up is that many people, especially in the running community, we identify as runners. And I want to challenge that. We're going so tangent on this right now, but I want to challenge that as a let's stop identifying ourselves as runners. We are people who run. Even elites are people who run. You are a human first. Your value is not in the performance you put out. Your value is not in how many races you've run. Your value is not whether you never run races again and you just run for fun because you just freaking enjoy it and it clears your brain and whatever because you just love that sport. We have to detach the two and focus on the reality of the physiology of you as a human. And the physiology of you as a human needs to be supported regardless of whether you run. But if you then choose to run, it needs to be supported more, not less. Amen. Cool. I think that's that's it. That's uh, I think we said a lot. We kind of went. It. Yeah. We kind of went all over the place with that at the end. But it all again, but it's it all, all connects. related. It all connects. Yeah. Yeah. It's all related. I mean, I have yet to pull, you know, I say like you're, I describe the, the human body as like a, a marionette, right? Like you pull one string and a bunch of stuff moves. And when we're talking about health and performance and you, you pull on one thread, everything else is somehow connected. Yes. You cannot have one without the other. And, and you I can't escape that, it. And you can't no, and logic I, it. You can't logic it. It has and to And you all... are not the exception. Correct. Oh my God. That's, I'm so glad you said that because it's everyone is always like, well, I get that for them, but it doesn't apply to me. Listen, nobody's that special. Metabolically, we all function the same. We all have the same pathways. We all function the same. We have the, the same micronutrient needs. The amounts vary, obviously, for individuals, but we all need the same things. Our bodies do the same things. You're not special. Stop trying to, you know, prove something. You can't outlogic your physiology. It's been so rewarding for me as a coach. I mean, just for, for me as a runner is figuring out my nutrition. So thank you, Kirsten, for being my dietitian. You were a model um, client. I enjoyed you very much. <laughs> but I got an A plus in nutrition. You did guys. get an A plus <laughs> without overdoing it. Look at that. And you're on. You're not on long term supplements because we fix no. things. I just take my electrolytes. That's but it. But I, I think it's even you know it. It's seeing the small changes in the athletes that I work with in, in the uh, basic support that I offer them is that. And I've had a couple a couple athletes I've worked with recently, you know, buy hydration vests. And the very first long run, this three different athletes in the last month have bought hydration vests and actually worn them on their long runs. And the, it's like night and day. They're like, oh my God, I felt really good. I'm like, yeah, that's what happens Amazing. when you drink enough water and no take electrolytes ship, and feel your long run. <laughs> like it's, it's these, it's these little things that, like I, we talked about at the very beginning, like these, some of these things are simple. Yeah. These are really simple changes to make. Um, that, but it's not always the one that you think of, right? Right. 
And it's not the sexy one because it's right. literally just, I want you to eat a lot of different foods often. And I want you to be really, really hydrated. <laughs> like that's yeah. the bottom line of it. There's nuance, but that's the bottom line of it. And if you have underlying stuff going on, let's fix it. But it's not sexy to give that as a protocol to somebody. But that's what you really, in all honestly, honesty and reality, need to be doing. That's the secret sauce. You want secret sauce, that's it. And there are some people who are going to listen to this and say, huh, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And that's all they need, right? Yeah. Um, same with me. People like, you know, coach, I'll explain a concept like, huh, everything makes sense. That's all they need. They, yep. you know, self-coach uh, very successfully. But of course, there are people who need more support. Um Tell us what you offer if people are looking for more support in their nutrition. Yeah, um, we do offer one-on-one coaching, similar to what you know folks can do with you. Obviously, you were in one-on-one coaching with us, so you know what we do there. Uh, we generally do about a four-month protocol because it does take time. So I want that right from me. This is, this is a process. Uh, something that makes us probably a little bit different from what folks know about their normal sports dietitian, we incorporate the function piece um, at the foundation of everything. We do functional testing to see where the holes are in your bucket make sure that we backfill those and we're actually supporting the human and then stacking performance on top. So we do have one-on-one always as an option. We do have a group coaching option for those folks who are like, I'm pretty good on my own. I want accountability and I want to plug in. I want to know how to eat. How do I expose myself to variety and do all of those things? So we do have a quarterly group program that we run on that. If somebody just needs help with, I want to fuel for you know a half or a full marathon, we do have an evergreen program on that as well. But I encourage anyone who truly is struggling with these types of things and has a bunch of symptoms, one-on-one coaching is where we play detective. We get in there and we figure out what's going on with you and we fix the holes in the bucket so that hopefully after that you come out like Elizabeth and never have to worry about it again because now you just know what to do and we fixed it, right? And I get it. I mean, I for so many people, nutrition is this scary thing. Food has been the enemy, I think, for mm-hmm. so many people for so much of their lives. Like the goal has always been in society to like see how little you could possibly get away with eating. Um, and And I, so just as a, what I want to say is that I understand how un, how thinking about this, eating enough, for so many people, enough is coming from a place of deprivation. And so enough for you may feel like everything because you have limited your ability, mm-hmm. you limited yourself to not allowed yourself to eat certain foods. And so, you know, it's okay to be scared, yes. <laughs> but it does, you will find balance. Well, and you went through this yourself, right? Not from the restrictive perspective, but but having to face something and going through this process with us. And hopefully it wasn't that scary. Hopefully you came out pretty unscathed on the other side. But the goal for us is always to demystify it, to take the overwhelm out of it. It's food. Like it's, you know, eating, sleeping and using the bathroom. Those are the things that we are programmed to do and they should happen very easily every day. Uh, let's demystify it and bring it back to the most basic functions that we as humans know how to do and open up that brain space for you to focus on a whole lot of other things instead of worrying about feeding yourself. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't have analysis paralysis every paralysis every single time you open the fridge. Every three hours. My goodness. That sounds yeah. awful. Let's not. Yeah. Let's not. It's terrible. <laughs> Kirsten, thank you so much for being here today. This is a great conversation. I, uh, I, I hope people enjoy our tangents. I always enjoy talking to you and I appreciate your time. I'm so grateful to be back and I knew we'd go on t- tangents because that's what you and I are best at. But this was this was great. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time.
This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.